Work from home is one thing, but what happens when your home can be anywhere? A husband and wife duo on how they run their business today on Remote Space. Hello? Uh, yeah, right. I'm sending that over in an hour. The meeting today? Another one? Hold on one sec. Enough! Working from home not as much fun as you imagined? Remote Space explores the tools and philosophies we use as we work more remotely. We'll talk to experts who have mastered remote work, those studying the shift in how we work, and those learning on the run. Here's your host, Doug Thomas. I'm Doug Thomas. Camille Holden and Taylor Kroonquist started an online business six years ago and have done it by working from home, only their address changes. Besides stops around the United States, the couple has traveled and worked from Spain, France, Ukraine, Australia, Thailand, I'm not finished, Vietnam, Cambodia, Puerto Rico, and most recently, Bali. A common thread is they both lived and worked in China and found themselves at work using PowerPoint a lot. That led to nuts and bolts speed training. Their mission is to get you faster at PowerPoint so you can spend less time in the office and more time doing the things you love. For a husband and wife duo that base their work life on making others faster and more efficient, I wanted to talk to them about their remote world. Taylor, Camille, welcome. We've been around PowerPoint for a long time, and there's this term of really bad PowerPoint. We all know, you know what that usually is. I'm curious if you have seen or experienced the epitome of bad working remotely. Oh, gosh. I think for me, I would say the bad remote working is this idea that you can work anywhere, anytime. I think that's a fallacy. I know that when we first started traveling, we thought, oh, we've got you know 11 hours on this gigantic flight. We're going to get so much done. And that didn't happen. But we kept believing in that myth for years, I think probably at least several years. And we would get all it worked up into a tizzy when we actually couldn't get finally got anything done and, and get upset. And, and now we've just come to accept that the airplane is not a productive space. And if we get something done, that's amazing. But just to just give in to the TV or the book or the whatever it is. So that would be at the top of my mind. I was also going to point out that reminded me, you know, when people start talking about digital nomading or traveling and working, you see these pictures of everyone sitting on the beach on their computer with a coconut. And there's not a lot of digital nomads. They're just lined up on the beach with their computer working. That's that's not really how it works. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Paint me a picture of what a digital nomad usually does look like. Our favorites, we've, we've done it both in both formats. So one format is, you know, you travel, you trek around the world. You secure your housing and you just work from either your house or Starbucks or some kind of cafe, which is one version. The latest version that I liked the better was going to a location and getting signed up with like a co-working spot. Um, and the only reason, depending on which city you go in, you're going to meet a bunch of other nomads and it's a much more productive space. And you can, you know, people do um, meetings or um, what are they called? Webinars or talks about what they're doing. 
so you can meet a bunch more people. So I think that's nomading done best is through co-working spaces. And a reason other than the social aspect and the productivity is, is you also have reliable Wi-Fi, right? So if you're going to be working remotely, chances are a big portion of your work needs to be done online. And, you know, working from a cafe or from even your home in, in a third world country, it's never necessarily reliable to count on the Wi-Fi there. So it's just nice to be able to go into a place and know you've got your bases covered and you can, you know, sit down and crank some work out. So how do you know it's reliable Wi-Fi? I mean, anyone can proclaim they have something, but is there sites that test this stuff or you going by reputation? I mean, as you travel the world and, and decide to pick, I got to think reliable Wi-Fi is, if not the top of the list, is near the top of the list. Yeah, we would, we'd go anywhere in the world as long as there was you know great Wi-Fi. We were in Fiji. They had some Wi-Fi issues. So even though we had Wi-Fi most of the time, I mean, kind of anywhere you go, especially Southeast Asia, you're going to get great Wi-Fi and then it's going to like stop on you. One thing you can do is uh, we haven't actually done it ourselves, but you know, you can get a local SIM card and then use that as a hotspot. And oftentimes the cell phone data is is better than Wi-Fi. So if or if it's like a fail safe, if the Wi-Fi just drops on you. But I think also, you know, you have to you have to be flexible. You know, it depends where you want to be. If you want to be somewhere remote and beautiful, you have to accept that that's going to happen and and be able to pivot over to different type of work. Maybe that doesn't require the Internet or be willing to drive drive around the town to look for the Wi-Fi. Very true. Oh, yeah. Wow. And that's just you're just honing on signals and on your phone trying to figure out where's a hotspot. Basically, or just opening your computer at different cafes to see how how it works. You end up buying a lot of different coffees in different <laughs> places, but the good excuse to switch locations. Oh, the Wi-Fi is not working. Let's go somewhere else. <laughs> Starting off, I'm I'm curious, what was first? Did the thought of uh, I want to travel and work, or was it we need to travel? What kind of job can we get, or what kind of job can we do? I'd say the idea of starting a website came first. It's just like a, a, an idea to maybe maybe make some extra money on the side teaching PowerPoint, which we were doing a lot of you know, for our, our companies at the time. But we were living in China at the time, and we had that big spike in pollution, which basically drove us out. So we broke the pollution index for like five or six days. And that's when we really kind of had already been thinking about the website. And then it was, well, where do we find the next best place to live? well, we need to go travel a bunch of countries to find out where that is. And we had this kind of ruminating idea on the side. I was like, well, what if we just did that full-time as we traveled around the world and build our websites? Perfect. wasn't as easy, though, as, that, as, as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I heard Camille say in a, another interview was being time-rich is the ultimate goal. Can you expand on that more? Yeah, I, I think you know, as you grow older or as you gain more experience, you sort of realize that you can make money, you can buy things, uh, but what you can really not get enough back of is time. And you know, you hear a lot of people who say, "I'll do, I'll do this when I retire. I'll do that when the kids are big. I'll do, you know, whatever." And I think that that's really a shame. And there, and there are some countries, you know, like if you go back to Europe, there are still some countries where people value work a lot less and want to do things now. And so I think, you know, it's one thing to earn a bunch of money; uh, it's another thing to be able to do the things that you want to do. And so. And, and those don't necessarily require a lot of money. They just need time, right? So you could go and, and spend a month in Thailand. It wouldn't cost you very much, but you would need to find a way to, to break that time away from your job or from whatever it is that was keeping you to some kind of schedule. So we put that emphasis in our business from the get-go. Now, it, it hasn't always worked out that way. We definitely work a lot. 
but we've been able to do a ton of amazing, cool things along the way. And so we might not be in, in our last seven years, we've run a business and we've, we've learned a lot of things, but we're not necessarily, you know, top of the ladder and we can't, you know, show our fancy business cards to people. We've kind of just been flying by the seat of our pants, but we've done all these really cool things. And so that's, that's what we've always placed an emphasis on and what we continue to do as we continue to grow our business. Let's see if you can help me and some others who have gone from this world of of being corporate and now working from home. And as I usually rephrase it, it's not working from home. It's working at home, trying to get work done during a, a crisis. We all thought, oh my gosh, I don't have to commute anymore. I don't even have to even think about my clothes. I'm going to save so much time. And you know, after a couple of weeks of this, you don't really feel, I'm not saving time at all. In fact, I might even miss the commute because that was decompression time. Any thoughts on how you can bank some of that time or make you at least feel that that time saved is earned? Yeah. So, I mean, I've got a couple of thoughts on that. One, my first one was when I was talking about going to a co-working space earlier. I went through the same burnout of working from home all the time. And then it was almost like I wasn't being nearly as productive. I was like, oh, I need to go do this. And oh, what about that? And it became all these like home things. So first off, going to a co-working or a different location than where I lived helped cut some of that out. Well, another thing that I think you might say is even just switching locations within a house. I know I see you do that when you get frustrated or you get to a point where you're feeling a bit, you know, like you're staring off into space, then you'll you'll switch to a different part of the house. And that's not always doable depending on where you live, obviously. But even just sitting on your bed with your laptop on your lap, just like switching it up, I think can be can be helpful. Just like in, in an office, you might just walk over to the you know water cooler, the coffee dispenser and chat with someone for three minutes and then go back and be able to hone back in. You can do that from your house. It's just a little trickier sometimes. When we first left our corporate jobs, I went through this whole phase of like, I, you know, because you used to work nine to five or nine to eight. And if then if I wasn't working in that time frame, I didn't feel productive. And I finally kind of came to the recognition like, well, what am I supposed to actually get done today? regardless if it takes the full day. And it was kind of more of a focus on how do I get this one thing done? And if I get this one thing done, I can say today was a good day. Where before I would sit there, I was like creating more tasks for myself because I used to just be in a normal corporate environment where I just had to slug it out until, you know, six or seven o'clock. All days are different, except for some of us, all days are the same now. But going back to when, let's say, in your last location, in, in when you were in, working from Bali, is there a sense of schedule that you had, or is it day-to-day based on your clients who are going to be around the world? I'd say we really got into a, our own set schedule. It's one of the other things about working from home is like you set the schedule that w- when you're most productive, not when everybody else, I mean, unless you have to do meetings and stuff. But I felt like at the end, we had a pretty good kind of worked until 11 o'clock. We went to the gym together, had lunch, came back, did a whole nother section of work, and then you know we do dinner. So we kind of broke our day up around lunch and exercise, which I think was a great de-stressor, decompressor, and then almost let you start a second phase of your day. If the first phase you know didn't go the way you wanted to, you could come back in the afternoon and say, okay, I'm going to do something completely different now. And just shifting to where we are at this moment in time when the interview is happening with uh, stay-at-home orders, how does one that's worked from home who's been able to do those types of things, uh, is there any tricks or or, or tips that you found in this new age that you've been able to break up the day that way? 
I think for us, we're, we're very lucky that it, it really, there hasn't been almost any transition except that we're now working from homes that aren't our own as we're, you know, house hunting and figuring out where we're going to now live in the States. But I, I think it's been a constant reminder every new place we've gone to, to really check in and be honest with yourself. When do you work best? And I think a lot of times when you've been working in an office, when you have a prescribed set of hours and times for meetings, there's been the sense of like, there's no point figuring that out because I've got something prescribed for me. But when you work from home, all of a sudden you can actually tune in to how you work best. Do you really work best in the mornings? Do you work best in the afternoons? Do you need a break in the middle of the day? I think it's super, super helpful. Do you need like really quiet space or do you like having some stuff going around you? So I think for me, it's been a constant reminder to check in and to be honest with yourself. Like, when am I really productive? When am I getting the most work done? And then demanding that for yourself and from other people to say, listen, like I need these hours, these chunks, and then I can be more flexible around that. But it's an exercise. If you've never done that before, you really have to learn how you work best because it's so much more important when you're kind of on your own to, to figure it out. And then you've got all these other factors around you too. Shifting a little bit. So uh, I'm curious to know how, what worked well or what was effective or, or any, or any, again, tips you have when dealing with communication. I always joke the last time I worked from home for an extended period of time, I was on dial up. So that was a, little, that was a long time ago. I'm curious to know how, on communication of how you work with clients, how you work with other folks, is there anything that's different from working in the corporate world? I think things have gotten a little more more casual now that everyone's working from home. There's a sense of flexibility, you know, oh, that's okay. Time doesn't work for you. We'll make it work. People are much more familiar with various teleconferencing applications. So that's been really nice. You don't feel like you have to educate someone about how to use the tools and yeah, just the flexibility, I think, has been really nice. Everyone's a little bit more casual. They don't expect you to be some stuffy corporate person. Not that we really ever fit that bill in, in, at this job. But yeah, I, I think that's the biggest thing I've noticed. Other than that, it hasn't really changed a whole lot for, for our business. Yeah, and I was just going to say, as far as trekking around the world, too, you can use trekking around the world as an excuse. You don't have to be, don't have to reply like within the first five minutes of someone sending an email, like, oh, I was on a plane. I'm flying to whatever, Mexico, like I'll get back to you. And there's like more bandwidth to be flexible on without having to be responding every second to someone's demands. Were you using a lot of video calls and uh, Zoom or Teams or anything like that during this time? Or was it mostly you're doing email and, and other more written forms? We do do monthly webinars with our students in our different courses. And that's, that is a Zoom webinar. So that hasn't changed. Most of the other communication I would say is just email or, you know, oftentimes people send me a question and I will just screenshot it. So I'll do a loom or a snag it and I'll just walk them through what I'm looking at and showing them how to do something. And people find a, a lot of value in that, a lot more value than just writing it up in an email. That does remind me though of one of the biggest challenges we've had traveling around the world is we, we create a lot of video content. It's not necessarily our faces. It's a lot of screen capture, but it's still audio. And we've we've had some interesting recording situations, including a, a time we were in on an island off of Puerto Rico where our neighbors probably had about 40 roosters. <laughs> recording video content was quite challenging. So that definitely is something that if you're looking at traveling the world and working, you're going to have to either find places that are quiet or carry some sort of soundproofing system with you or just get a really good mic. That's definitely something that we've had to learn to deal with over the years. 
Yeah, there's probably no app for uh, finding uh, who has roosters and who doesn't. <laughs> Someone should make one. <laughs> well, uh, in this day and age, I'm sure that would happen at some point. So I just want to go back for the the Snagit thing. You do a screenshot and then are you just doing Snagit for looking at it or are you actually writing on like a football commentator would commentate and mark up something? Are you doing it that way or are you just explaining and using visual cues? I do both. So I do have a touch screen so I can just take a pen and write on my screen. But like even if someone's like, I'm trying to remember someone was like trying to figure out how to do some better research. And I just like shot, you know, I just fired up my screen capture, walked them through what I would do, started building PowerPoint slides, you know, went to, I'm just, it's just your screen. And I just walked someone through exactly what I would do, which was so much easier. It was higher value for them because they could see exactly what I was doing. And it was so much easier for me than having to write first, go to this website. Then I would do this and here's something to think about. And because you just get a freely talk as if you were talking to someone, you can just walk them verbally through exactly what you're thinking as you're walking through it. That's cool. Because that, again, that's what you would do if you were uh, next door to somebody is you would be pointing at the screen or, or marking it. So that's that's a great tool on that. Anything else with tools that you use or, or tips in working with folks remotely? Yeah, I, I really like Loom. It's a free service, at least as far as a certain amount of videos. And I usually can get rid of them after a while. I use that a ton for everything from communicating with clients. So if I'm partway through a template design, I'll record a little Zoom, send it to them. Uh, You can send a link directly. So it just uploads to the web. You send a link. It's really, really easy. You can see if they viewed it. So you get a sense of, you know, if they've even looked at it or not. I've used it also for explaining things to our web developer. You know, it's so much easier than even the best collaboration tools, but you still have to like put in a comment, highlight the area. Whereas if you can just record yourself, you're like, here I am scrolling through it here. This looks kind of funny. This would like to be here. I find that so much easier. And I think so far clients and various people that we work with have found it really helpful. And often they're blown away. They're like, wow, the customer service is amazing. And it's just a simple tool that just records your screen and you just share a link and it's, it's super easy. Yeah. And another just thing you can do with that as well to take it to the next level, if you're hiring freelancers and all this stuff and you have standard operating procedures, you just record yourself walking someone through the standard operating procedures instead of leaving it up to them to read it and figure it out. You're like, here they are in a document and here's the video of me doing exactly following those steps. So there's zero question about what you should be doing. Nice. I can't stop a conversation with you guys without talking about PowerPoint. I first met you at uh, Presentation Summit a couple, uh, several years ago. You know, it's one of those things that people say it to me, but I'll say it to you guys. Uh, you guys have probably forgotten more about PowerPoint than I'll <laughs> ever learn. And and nuts and bolts speeds training, it's all about uh, speed and efficiency. You want people to do things faster. And I think even, again, if they're making even bad PowerPoint. You want them to get them, as your slogan says, to cocktail hour. Tell me something people shouldn't be speeding up when they're thinking about presentations and PowerPoint. So I I do a lot of template work, template design, and I teach courses on templates. And I would say the number one thing that people shouldn't speed up is the thinking behind the messaging and behind what is going to go into the presentation. So PowerPoint is such an awesome and easy tool that some a lot of people are just open it up and start playing around with it. And I think that's that can be really detrimental because then you find yourself seven hours later, like, wait a minute, what was I, what was I even trying to say or do? And so I think really slowing down the thinking process, whether that's using almost anything other than PowerPoint. So some people are pen and paper type, others are Evernote types or OneNote, whatever it is that you're using, you know, get your ideas clear 
and then open up the tool and you'll find that you'll be so much more efficient because it's never faster to do something fast than if you have to redo it. Taylor, anything? It's things that you shouldn't do fast in PowerPoint. He's like, no, do it all fast. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on the opposite end, right? Like I, I like throw stuff around and break things apart until I get it. I guess I just, have, I have a sloppier way of thinking, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Well, just, I mean, sometimes it's in PowerPoint, sometimes on pen and paper. Sometimes I like, I have a little dictaphone if I get really angry or whatever, and I'll go like dictaphone a bunch of stuff out and then I'll transcribe it. So I kind of vacillate between these different creative, chaotic forms that would probably drive most people nuts, but it's how I think. So I just got to go with that. Also, uh, one thing that everyone tries to do in PowerPoint and in just in, in corporate America, it's been trying to be this whole thing, this whole evolution of storytelling. I'll share one with you that I, I tell people. It helps if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan. But if you uh, see his special, Bruce Springsteen on Broadway, which is on oh Netflix, I want to say, I really recommend it for folks because what he does with cadence of his voice, uh, what he does with volume, what he does with, of course, he's singing songs, but what he does in between the songs is really great storytelling practice that, again, it's a two-hour concert, but I think it shows you different ways of how to present your materials. Is there anything that, that inspires you that you would like people to know about? I think in terms of design or crafting presentations, so this might also apply to storytelling, I often tell people to look outside of presentations. So just spend a day with your mind really open and looking at every single thing that comes across your eyes or that your eyes come across anyway, and think how could this look on a slide or how could this look in a presentation? And so I often find that I'll land even on like a Twitter post and someone posted a picture and I'm thinking, how does this, how can I use the, the graphical elements in, in a presentation? Or I'll look outside the window and see how the trees are lining up and you know, in a sequence and that looks really cool or an ad in a magazine and stuff like that. And so I think if you just expand a little bit beyond the, the narrow framework of a presentation, you can come up with a whole bunch of things that are, that are working really well in other areas that would totally apply to a presentation. I think with story it would be the same thing. You know, you don't have to think of a story itself or a Ted talk or a presentation. You, like you said, you could look at a movie or you could, you know, read a book or you could, even listen to a really good friend, like listen to a friend who who's telling a story. I, I was, I think about that. I have a friend who's who's just hilarious, and he tells these stories in a way that I could never tell. And I and I always wonder, like, well, how does he do it? Why is he so much funnier? Why is he better at telling the story than I am? I haven't cracked the nut yet, but I think that could, even just listening to a friend could be an inspiration for how you present information to someone. Yeah, and I, I guess I just had another thought on that as well. Because when sometimes when people we talk about, oh, you, you know, you should be storytelling, and then you kind of get in this mindset that from slide one to slide fifty, I have to be telling some arcing story that goes through this thing, and all oh, this is so complicated. And so I've helped a couple people sometimes where it's like, here's my presentation. I obviously want to add something to the story, and I I used to call it a wow sandwich, where I, the O was your ordinary slide in the center. And I'd put two W's on the other on each side of it to try to give it a wow sandwich where you're, you know, just trying to set that up, that slide up with, you know, either statistics or a story about the marketing that went behind it, like who was involved in doing it. You deliver the ordinary information and then the, the other W on the other side would be like, well, what does this mean? Or what, how could this play out? Or how does this impact? Instead of having to recreate someone's entire presentation, it was like, how do we just like stick some of these wow sandwiches 
inside your presentation to give it some extra WhatsApp without you feeling like, oh my God, I got to go back to the drawing board and start all over again. No, that's great. Camille, Taylor, thank you very much. If people are interested, where can they find you? You can visit us at nutsandboltspeedtraining.com is our, our website where we have all of our PowerPoint tutorials and videos. We also have a YouTube channel, PPPT Speed. I think we put one too many P's in when we first started a YouTube channel because we didn't know what we were doing. PowerPoint Speed, yeah, that's where you post all of our videos and stuff. That's the best place to find us. Great. Camille Holden and Taylor Kunquist are uh, co-founders and PowerPoint instructors of Nuts and Bolts Speed Training. And if you ever get a chance to hear them in person or at a conference when we start doing that again, highly recommended. Just make sure you have some caffeine before you go see Taylor talk. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Stay well and hope to see you sometime soon down the road. Thank you, Doug. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more stories and lessons learned from those working in the remote space.